friends, welcome to episode 215 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Jeez, we were both clearing our throats before we got here. Right. Holy lord. Like, um, it is, it is, weather has been interesting. It, it has been Michigan. The weather has gone from like 80 to 85 to 60 to back Something. up to 80 and like a week, two weeks of drought and then two days of, of solid hard rain. rain. Like it just, rained hard yesterday. Yeah. It was crazy. So, uh, you know, we're, we're just, as, as I like to say that the weather is dribbling me like a basketball right now. No, I feel that. I definitely feel um, that. But we are here. We have another system spotlight up tonight. Let's see here. We got any gaming news? Let's see, I got my game scheduled. This I think. Afternoon. I think this. I, I. I. The only thing I was going to say was, we always think that summers are going to be the easier time to schedule. Oh and no! Inevitably, they're, they're the night most, biggest nightmare <clears throat> ever because everybody's doing things and holidays are abundant. I. Uh, I, I. I. We schedule our posts up on Discord and. Um, We'll like put out proposed dates, and we'll use the the reaction emojis. Um, yeah, to, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six of the mm-hmm. various uh, you know days that we can possibly do, and we only play on the weekends um, because we've also got some people that are kind of you know like an hour out of you know yeah. away. So forty five minutes, yeah, forty five minutes or so. So it's just it'd be a pain in the in, in 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 the butt to try to get everybody together on a weeknight to play for a couple hours at the exactly. most. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I put out the basically entire July worth of weekends, mm-hmm. and I watched you guys all sign up, all but one of you, for every single day. Everybody shifted. Everybody was missing something mm-hmm. in there, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Welp." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it was true, and I mean that happens. Like that's that's yeah. common, and that's a thing. And there's a lot of people who are just like, "Well, you know, game without that person," and it is hard. When it's, you're when you're doing a full story where yeah. everybody is involved because they want to be involved, you really don't want to do that. Sometimes it's okay, but with your game and, and, and like my games where we're tending to do them once a month, mm-hmm. we really want those sessions to have meaning and depth, and you don't want to disclude somebody. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, plus, there are like a couple of people that... Um... And this is, this is a pretty meaningful arc for a couple different people. Yeah. Um. And going into this next game is going to be a it's it's kind of a climactic moment for uh, for this part of the story too. So I mean, honestly, I would say this: like, if my character wasn't around, you could easily pilot my character. Yeah. Like if I wasn't around. Yeah. Um, even to a, a lesser degree, I could say uh, there'd be a few other people you could, but it'd be very short list mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. this for this session. But yeah. yeah. But a big shout out to uh, to the Mad Elf for taking yeah, for the team definitely. and basically saying like I'm going to be sunburnt and exhausted, <laughs> but I will but I will be there because your game is worth it. So. Yes, we will we will we will make um, it comfortable for you. Thank so. you, thank you so much for uh, for doing that. But all that being said, we have kind of what I thought because of the size of the book mm-hmm. and the way it was described, this was going to be a short system spotlight has blossomed to say the least. Yeah, and and the other like, not only has it blossomed just because of the 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 remarkable depth of the game for mm-hmm. what it's done with so little, mm-hmm. but I, I think too, I found myself um, thinking a lot about how the lessons we can learn from Brindlewood Bay. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a great way of putting can it. be extrapolated into other games. I I one hundred percent agree, and I'll get to my portion of that. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. I mean. 
our first con- our conversation with it was less about tell me about your your thoughts on the system and more about the okay we both love this why mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's fantastic like it is good that we both love the system and I think we both love the system for a lot of the same reasons yeah but I think a lot of those same reasons that's where we've been leaning to yeah yeah and I one hundred percent am glad that I slotted this immediately after the why do we need combat. Yes, yes, and we'll, like, we'll we'll get to all that. I don't want to get into the into into the weeds too too much. No, here before I, we, I, kinda... But for those who are listening to the podcast that begin like and normally don't listen to system spotlights, hang around. There's a lot of good things in this. There is a lot of good things in this. Uh, so there's a little bit of a meta discussion here. So tonight we are discussing Brindlewood Bay, yes. uh, written by Jason Cordova and mm-hmm. uh, published by Gauntlet Publishing. Yeah. Um, um, there, it was out before 2022's Kickstarter. There was some beta stuff that was released. I was trying to find some timelines on that, but I really couldn't get anything definite. So mm-hmm. I will say this much. The Kickstarter campaign started in 2022, was funded in minutes. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. ended somewhere close to a half a million. It's uh, impressive, yeah. For, for a book that literally you can get now today, it was, now Kickstarter in 2022, Available today as a PDF for fifteen bucks. Fifteen bucks, yeah. Like, that's beautiful. That's really that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, I love that. And and Jason, if you listen to this, fantastic job. Thank Fan- you. All, yeah. all all well done. We're we'll we'll get into all of it. So uh, now I do want to uh, issue a little bit of an actual spoiler warning. I suppose. I think that's fair to call it a spoiler. Um. Okay. So and, and normally we I wouldn't do this with a game system. Like we dive in and we you know rip it apart and we give our opinions about all the different mechanics and. And, you know, how it's supposed to be played and stuff like that. But um, the game is semi-structured in that mm-hmm. there is a – though there's a lot of open space in the game to make the game your own. No two games of Brindlewood Bay are ever going to be the same, mm-hmm. okay? Um, just by its very nature and by the size of the gaps that are left in the scaffolding that they give you. Mm-hmm. But there is a scaffolding yes. and yes. there is a point to the game and there is a sort of – meta narrative that takes place with the murder mysteries that we're going to be looking into and whatnot yes and so if you're if you would prefer not to kind of know what the the big story of brindlewood bay is okay if all you are here for is to know what our overall opinion about the game is Mm -hmm. we think a it is fantastic without a doubt without a doubt um Delightful little mystery game that leans very heavy into, like, Murder, She Wrote and other detective shows from the 80s and 90s. And I say show heavily. The word show is very important. And it also involves some Lovecraftian elements. I saw a lot of Monster, She Wrote. Yes, I will. The the fear element of this story definitely leans into Lovecraftian and the unknown. Um, Now, it is structured enough that it easily guides you through these mysteries, Mm -hmm. uh, but it's left open enough that each table will actually have, like I said, a very unique adventure. No two games of Brindlewood Bay are ever going to be the same. Yes. Um, But there is enough structure there that that it it is going to guide you through how to do these mysteries. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, it's brilliant. If you want old ladies solving dark mysteries for roughly 12 game sessions and a uh, a narrative-heavy game system, because it's powered by the apocalypse Mm -hmm. through and through, um, then... This this is a great game. You should you should spend the fifteen bucks, go get it, and uh, let us know how it goes for your table. Yeah. Um, if you want more detail and you don't care if we spoil the big secret behind these, stick around because we're about to. Yeah, and I, I will say this before we get into spoiling: if you want a system that will teach you some amazing narrative skills, 
uh, to add to any game system and any story that you're working with, spend the $15. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to listen to the rest of the show. Um, skip to the end if you want to um, and listen to our, our final kind of closing on this uh, because we'll get into some of the real value behind this um, and uh, and pick back up on that. But it's going to be a little while. We're going to have to we're going to have to get into the weeds a little bit of this. Uh, of this <laughs> interesting small book, but amazing game. Uh, but spend, definitely spend the money. So, uh, and uh, we will, uh, I, I guess we can step right into the spoilers at this point a little bit. So, um, it is a structured game with a lot of unstructured elements. Um, and in that... <laughs> thank you, thank you. I saw what you're doing there. Uh, in that, um, the game itself gives you the elements to run the mysteries, and there is a structure to the overall sense. But the clues that you are presenting, much like all good Powered by the Apocalypse games, are at the mercy of the story. Mm-hmm. And that is the... B- if if there is one thing at the very beginning of this that you must understand is this is powered by the apocalypse with the with the giant quotation that should be splashed across all of it, which is "Let shit happen." Mm-hmm. If you if you cannot accept that, then do not play this game. Yeah, it's this is this is really powered by the apocalypse in its purest form. Um, so if you're coming to powered by the apocalypse in things like uh, Dungeon World and stuff like that, that are a little more. A um, little more structured, a little more, you know, D&D, but we're using Powered by the Apocalypse rules. Um, this this is going to be very Powered by the Apocalypse for you. Very, very, um, very, very. The The main structure is essentially you've got a sort of whodunit. Mm-hmm. Um, the clues are given to you. Yeah. The suspects are given to you. But they don't tell you who did it. They don't nope. tell you what the clues mean. Nope. It's essentially up to your players to tell a narrative and then weave in the clues that you give them to the suspects you've given them and decide who they think it most likely points to. And it's uh, they will then theorize about it, which is a role. Mm-hmm. They theorize is a move. Yep. Um, and depending on how that role turns out, either they, they got their culprit or maybe they didn't. Maybe they guessed wrong mm-hmm. and maybe there are some consequences for asking wrong and the hunt continues. And in, and it's not like they can just immediately theorize. I mean, they could. They'd get it wrong. But the idea is that the clues add up and add to the total. Well, you can't. Right. You can't because you need at least half the, of the difficulty worth correct, in clues. Correct. The lowest – its difficulties go from six to eight. Mm-hmm. Or com- complexity? Complexity. Complexity. goes from six to eight. So you need either three or four clues um, at a minimum to to even do the theorize role mm-hmm. uh, at a minimum, and then it's even it's even harder because um, the gap between how many clues you have and the complexity acts as a negative modifier on the role. Yep. So if you only have three clues on a difficulty six, you're minus three to that. You know. Um, but there's also like we said a little bit earlier, there's a bit of a um a bit of a meta narrative that, that goes on as well. Um, and this is, this is kind of the spoilery part um, is that there is uh, while you are solving these individual smaller crimes, mm-hmm. a meta narrative that takes place, which is the dark conspiracy. And it all has 
to do, and this is your last chance if you do not want spoilers, with the Midwives of the Fragrant Void, which is a Hellenic death cult trying to summon a child Persephone from the sea, which is essentially like a Lovecraftian horror. No, I, and, and I loved every aspect of those words that come out of that. Like mm-hmm. When you're reading it, you're like, a child of Persephone? Lovecraftian. This is this. Th- th- these are other mavens, effectively, or yeah. or some kind of a blood cult. All of it is mysterious and wonderful, and and like, how does this fit into murder? She wrote <laughs> right, and that's the thing is it 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 doesn't. It just expands upon it. Correct. You know, you start out, and and so there there's a there's a whole um set of guidelines that it gives you and it's actually like a worksheet that it also provides for you that, to walk you through essentially how to take these um narrative elements that mm-hmm. will happen live in your game mm-hmm. you know you won't know who who done it mm-hmm. in the first mystery you nope. know all you know is that you know maybe they they become very attached to a character maybe they learn to trust another character maybe they they really hate a third character you know yeah and so you take these these elements that they've kind of attached to, and they've built these feelings and these investments onto, and you just make notes of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a while before the, the dark conspiracy starts ramping up. Um, but essentially, you work with your worksheet, and it gives you prompts to make certain decisions about things. And slowly but surely, the Brindlewood Bay, uh, the, or I should say the Mystery Maven, Murder Mavens. Murder Mavens. The Murder Mavens which is the the player group, will eventually start figuring out that there is something else going on that kind of connects all these weird murders and strange occurrences. And uh, it starts getting very deep and deep and deeper. And by the time the end of the campaign is rolling around, these things are like, these guys are summoning like demons to Mm -hmm. come attack you. And you're like, I don't care who fell off the side of a boat or who might have pushed them. They are going to summon Cthulhu out of the ocean if we don't do something about it. And therein lies your escalation. Yep. Yep. It it gets, I mean, it's still a mystery at the end to be solved. That has not changed. Yeah. The mechanics stay the same. It's not like you're combating Cthulhu. But in a way, you are by solving, by finding truths. Yes. And so the the, the true test at the end is: Can you remain? Mm-hmm. Can you can you see it through? Can you persevere? While, can you... while still existing within this lovely little town, and keeping in mind that these are little old ladies. Mm-hmm. You know, these are retirees. These are widows. Yeah. That have retired to the quiet little resort town of Brindlewood Bay, Massachusetts, formed a little murder mystery book club around their love of famed mystery writer Amanda Delacourt, Mm -hmm. who writes the Gold Crown Mysteries, Mm -hmm. and end up getting so enthusiastic about their love for murder mysteries that they begin solving them themselves. And then they get wrapped up into this big thing. Yeah, yeah. And you you probably are catching the excitement in our voice, and it's because there's a a lot of neat layers that make all this up. the The excitement in my voice primarily is because, first off, obviously the complexity of it all. Like I like 
that we've mixed something so mundane as little old ladies serving mur- solving murder mysteries with like Lovecraftian horror. Oh, I know that about you. Yeah, the two of those have blended together so beautifully. But the other thing that's really got me, and I was actually saying this to uh, to Vicky upstairs, mm-hmm. um, was uh, I more and more I am wanting to move my storytelling away from combat, away from violence, mm-hmm. and. You're you're a bunch of little ladies. Like you're not you're not packing. You know. I mean, if you pull a gun, it's a serious it serious is. moment. Yes, exactly. Like you are going to be fleeing from danger. There's no combat in this game. You know. No. I mean, I mean, you watch watch any one of those series. Would you ever think that J. B. Fletcher would pull a pistol? Right. No, not in the least. When was the last time Columbo pulled a gun on somebody? I want to say once. Once, maybe? I want to say once, if I can remember at all. And even then, he was unsure about it, and I think it was unloaded. (laughs) Yeah, it was probably, like, it was probably a huge bluff on his part. Like, oh, thank God he didn't, you know, make me pull the trigger, because he'd have found out that I didn't have bullets in this thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, exactly. The chief let me borrow this one. I wasn't even sure if it was loaded. (laughs) I haven't been to the range in 60 years. Right, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. You know, can you imagine Jessica Fletcher you exactly. know, pulling a yeah. magnum out of her purse? Not no, gonna happen. You know, not, not even a dagger. Like that's never going to even happen. Exactly. So I, I just like I'm looking at this and like, I'm like ninety percent sure this is what I want to run after I'm done with my Savage Worlds game. Right. Just because it's it's charming, but it also gives me time. It gives me the ability to like kind of flex my horror chops without sitting you guys down and go, hey, we're playing Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. It gets me away from, you know, violence as the solution on things. And it's a pretty limited run game in that it really only goes about a dozen sessions or so. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about not doing the big epic 50 session nope. campaigns anymore. You no, know? I, I, I definitely feel like our discussion, our next discussions are going to be way less combat-y because I've got so many good ideas. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into the mechanics because we'll get in and out of it relatively fast. Sure. <laughs> Uh, so this is powered by the Apocalypse, like I said, in its purest form. Yeah. Um, so you've got five attributes in this game. Uh, vitality, which is what you do for physical things. Um, composure, which is what you use for, like, willpower or keeping your cool or mm-hmm. steady hands or whatever. Um, reason, which is what you use for mental uh, things if you're trying to, like, you know, suss out a clue or research mm-hmm. something. Um, per, uh, presence, which is your social, you know, trying to charm somebody or lie to them. Right. Um, and sensitivity, which is what you use for uh, things involving the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one of these attributes is going to range from minus three to plus three. Mm-hmm. They give you a starting set of attributes and then you, you add one to yeah. one of the attributes. That's yep. your entire character creation. Um, you then also need to, uh, choose cozy activities. I love cozy activities. Cozy activities. Everybody has a cozy activity and it's, uh, there's a suggested list very much like all power. If you're familiar with power by the apocalypse, they give you check boxes. I would say that this sits in the same realm as like your recovery in blades in the dark, your vice. Very much so. So so if you're familiar with blades in the dark, this is your vice, but it's, it's your cozy. But but, yeah, but it's, and you can tell instantly the difference in tone between a cozy and a vice. Right. But um, it's like baking, knitting, pottery, you know. But at the same time, you don't necessarily have to lead into that. Like, if you want to do, like, I don't know, like, motorcycle repair. Mm-hmm. 
or small engine work. Yeah, sure. Why not? Fishing, 100% legit. You the, know? Go- the goal is to have something that, fl- that that fleshes out your character and makes them a whole, complete person. Yeah. Um, And gives them something as a comfort to come home to. A hobby. Something they could sit at and do either in a group setting, like by themselves, or something that they can do by in a, like a studio setting. Yeah. A, yeah, a space that requires a little bit extra effort. It doesn't mean, like, if you do knitting, it doesn't mean you couldn't do that somewhere else. It just means that when you cozy, you pull out your knitting stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, there are also, uh, one of the character creation things is you've got something called a maven move. Now, these are one of my absolute favorite mechanics in this game. Um... So, uh, as you, as most of you who are familiar with Power by the Apocalypse knows, you don't have abilities or anything like that. You have right. things called moves. Uh, move is when a fiction, when something happens in the fiction, um, uh, in the story, that uh, calls for a, a role to be made. Um, a Maven move is something that you can do under, under certain circumstances, and they are unique to you. Mm-hmm. You can pick up more more Maven moves as the game progresses. It's one of the forms of advancement goes. Mm-hmm. Some of them are exclusive to the campaign. Mm-hmm. Like, literally, once somebody has them, nobody else can take them. Yeah. I honestly um, feel like that is should be, like, a normal thing. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that really helps identify. And I think there... I want to say it was spelled out in there that it is recommended. Mm-hmm. That no one has identical Maven moves. Right. Right, because it keeps it keeps each character unique, you know. Yeah. Um, now all the Maven moves are uh, named after um, typically male detectives from. Yeah. So there there is like a Columbo move. There's a Fox Mulder move. There's, there's a MacGyver move. There's a MacGyver move. Yep. Uh, a um, Rockford move. Rockford. Yep. 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 Uh, yep. I mean, there's but there's dozens of them. Yeah. You know, it's and, beautiful, honestly. Um. Well thought out. And so each one of them is basically like, uh, uh, not only does it give you a special ability, like the MacGyver move we were talking about that earlier, um, gives you the ability to, in a situation, it, you can describe three things that can plausibly be in a scene, three mm-hmm. mundane objects. Um, and if you can figure out a way to BS your way through combining those three objects to somehow solve whatever it is you're trying to resolve... Mm-hmm. Then you get to do it, and yeah. you get you get success on that. And it's it doesn't have to be like you know I have a hairpin in my pocket and a cork in my you know I pull a hairpin out of my hair, I grab a cork out of my purse that I had from the wine bottle at last night's dinner, mm-hmm. uh, and I use that on the uh, I use that on the lock on the front door to be able to gain entry quietly. You know that's the thing, but you could easily just say. I reach under the mat and find the spare key. They don't. No, no, no. Oh, no. That was specifically the example. Is oh, you they cannot do. I apologize. I apologize. Yes, it has to be stuff like hairpin Pin. plus rubber bland plus cork. Right. Equals, equals improvised lockpick. Yeah. 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 Or like a credit card. You know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I apologize. I read that um, fast. Some of them uh, are things that will just like free clues at the beginning of the story where they're yeah. like mysteriously dropped off by a mysterious benefactor who never appears, you know? Yeah. Um, one of them is like prophetic dreams that you get. Oh as yeah. The intro. I was reading about those and I thought, I thought those were neat and they say, be very careful about the prophetic dreams because they should have impact on the theme mm-hmm. and theme and feel are a huge part of this. Yeah. So, uh, but also one of the other great things that I, I noted in there is that each one of them has a little subtext on it that says, uh, essentially, choose this if you want X to be important to the story. 
you know. So, uh, for instance, one of them is um, Michael Knight, I think it was? Yes. From Knight Rider? From Knight Rider, yep. Okay. So, his move is essentially that you get a, a vehicle that is old reliable to you mm-hmm. and will, you know, uh, when, basically when using that vehicle, you have... Uh, um, and like you know, some sort of advantage, some sort of bonuses. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll always advantage. get you where you go, or it'll never break down. Sort of stuff like that. Right. You know, um, and it's like uh, uh, choose this if you want. You know, your vehicle to be an important character in the in the story, and also if you want chase scenes. Yeah. And so, just be, being that this is a very narrative, you know, forward game. Mm-hmm. It encourages you to immediately think about the impact on the story as a primary reason for why you might make some of these decisions, mm-hmm. rather than thinking about them as, like, is this the good choice? Is this the optimal choice? Yeah, I feel like it harkens back a little bit to the backgrounds in 7C that we used to use, where mm-hmm. literally you're leaning into what you want. Yeah. You know, you're you're saying, I get to be part of this this story. I get to craft how I want it to feel. And I think that's... A good sense of the Mad Lib that is this game, that it is expressing itself in every step, both character creation and uh, player uh, player manipulation, that the player is 100% part of the crafting of the story mm-hmm. at all times. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that uh, Knox said, uh, congrats, you are now part of a point-and-click adventure. And the answer is, no, it is not a point-and-click adventure. It is in a way, kind of the opposite of a point-and-click adventure. Um, and we'll get to that, but like this aspect of it is just by creating your character, you are changing the definition of the story mm-hmm. and how it is to portray it. Yes, there's a scaffolding that says, this is where we're going, but to get there is routes are w- wide open. Yeah. Yeah. And way more open than you think. And when you when you consider how the mysteries are structured, that like, and that's what I'm saying. We're, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so let's continue. So right. dice mechanics. All right. So dice mechanics. Like I said, it's pure powered by the apocalypse. You're going to be rolling two d six, add them together, uh, and plus or minus whatever the applicable attribute is. Um, so uh, six and under of that result is going to be a miss. Something bad doesn't happen. Something bad happens. You don't accomplish your goal. Whatever. Um, seven up is a hit, and then depending on the moves, the hit may have degrees. So typically, that is seven to nine is a hit with a complication. A ten to eleven is a solid hit, and mm-hmm. a twelve or higher is a hit, and you gain some sort of benefit with it. Yeah, a lot of the times um, when you're looking at things that are uh, seven to nine with complication, it is the classic. Part of the apocalypse complication. That complication can often be a physical complication, mm-hmm. but all complications are discussions. It you you can choose as a storyteller if you want to to be like, um, you know, this will have an injury effect, mm-hmm. or this will have uh, you'll lose something, or you'll lose you you'll lose track of them yeah, after yeah. this, you know, but you'll get what you want. Um, There's that, a very comprehensive list back in the storyteller section mm-hmm. of like com- uh, of, of good complications to throw in to keep in the, the the feel and theme of the game. Yeah, but one of the things that I really like about it is um, that it is a discussion with the player. Mm-hmm. If things aren't fitting right, there is retconning is a thing. It is very easy to be like, well, I, well, okay, so I'm not going to be able to lean toward that direction. So my character is is going to back out of this situation. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, like, and that just happens. Um, and 
I think that leans into the bit of like having complications creating their those advantages and disadvantages to those roles is that you might have gotten a complication from something and now you can't progress. Mm -hmm. So it changes the story and the players choosing that. Yeah, yeah. Um and and that's that's the last mechanic basically here is those advantages and disadvantages. Um they work almost exactly like they do in 5th edition D&D. &D, yeah. Uh, in that they don't stack. Yeah. Um you can never have more than one advantage or disadvantage and if you have both at the same time they cancel each other out. Yes. Um and then it's basically just 3d6 take the highest pair or the lowest pair of those dice. Yeah. And the thing about the those complications is something that I think is one of the important aspects of this kind of story and the breakdown of it, and that is that fictional um, positioning of what those things are. You might say, like, you know, in D&D, &D, if you say you have a bum leg, you know, kind of a thing, it is a mechanical stat-driven thing. Right. Like, it causes, you know, half movement. Disadvantage you know, on uh, on athletics and, and acrobatics right. roles. And, in this yeah. case, that is, throw all that out of your head. You have a bum leg. It means what it means. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I'm knitting right now. Cool. Your bum leg doesn't play into that. On the it other hand, you're chasing after the villain, or the villain's chasing after you. He's going to catch you. Why? Mm -hmm. You have a bum leg. Yeah. That's it's It's a fictional position, right? You know? And that's the thing is that objects within complications cause those things. Car failure is a complication. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you run outside and, oh... That's right, my car's dead. Crap. It won't start. Okay? Too soon, Rob. Too soon. Yeah, that's true. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize, Heat Sink. Good luck. Um, but that's the whole thing is, is that those complications need to not be hard mechanics. Mm -hmm. They are just simply advantage or disadvantage or a straight-up failure mechanic mm -hmm. designed to be in there uh, to be part of that. And it's meant to be a narrative choice within the framework of the mechanics. Yep. So... Um, now there's a few other little mechanics in here too. Um, advantages and disadvantages kind of, uh, can, can come from different places. We mentioned, uh, conditions and whatnot. Um, but you can gain advantage from, um, there's kind of a, an equipment sort of rule yeah. that's a lot like Blades in the Dark where, like, you kind of don't define it until it becomes a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is items from your cozy little place. I love that. Uh, and they're just things that you have, yeah. you know? Um, and there are basically, if you, if you have an item from your cozy little place that, that, that helps you in the fiction, you know, um, then you can, then you can use it. Um, yeah. now those things then become checked and can't be used again. Right. Okay. But there is things, um, an advancement, and I believe there is maybe a maven move that allows you to uncheck your items. Yes. Oh, certain items don't check Correct. when you use them Correct. because of Maven moves. Correct. Yes. Correct. Um, yeah. And things like that. So uh, they become very intrinsic parts of your character, like to be able to always get advantage on your rolls when you're using like your your car if you've got the Michael Knight Maven move, you know? Right, or if you've got like a spyglass, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Um and uh, my thought, of the other part of that is is that some of your consequences are, those can be taken from you. Mm -hmm. You could lose access to one or know that it was stolen. Yeah, they're not they're not guaranteed, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, one of the last mechanics to discuss here is, uh, is crowns. Yes, which okay. uh, named for based upon the book 
series that they all follow. Right, the Gold Crown Mysteries mm-hmm. by Amanda Delacour. Very yes, prolific. Writer. Very prolific. Lots of books. Lots of books. Um, so the uh, there are two types. Of, okay, so crowns basically are your way of. Well, okay. One's your way of resisting negative effects. Mm-hmm. One is kind of like a corruption track. Yes. Okay. So the you've got the crown of the queen, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially your your resistance track. Okay. Um, if you get a really bad outcome, and that bad outcome might even be things like you die. Yes. Uh, we mentioned you know bum leg. You're running away from the villain. The villain's trying to kill you. Well, sorry, buddy, but you've got a bum leg. Fiction yeah. says you die in this instance. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to put on the crown of the queen, mm-hmm. and I'm going to check off one of these things. And they're descriptors, they, like, describe how you failed as a mother. Mm-hmm. Describe a way that you failed as a sister or as a, mm-hmm. as a wife. Um, describe a, uh, a, a budding romance in your life. There's, there's a, there's a handful, and they're all, and they're all listed on the character sheet. Um. So when you do that, two things happen. First off, you what what actually happens in the scene is the next highest die result that you could have gotten. Right. Okay. So if you rolled like a you know snake eyes on a, totally on, on something yeah. that you that, that that death is on the line. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now it becomes a seven. Which means there's a consequence. There's a consequence, but you succeeded. Mm-hmm. So you might lose something, but you get away. Right. You might take a condition, but you get away, you know. Right. Um, but then by the end of the session, you then have to incorporate the thing that the crown said you had to incorporate. So there needs to be a moment where you kind of either flash back or maybe talk to another character of, oh, God, you know, all this makes me think of just where I left things off with my daughter, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think we, we left on the right foot. I... I really had a rough moment with her, blah, 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 family drama, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And and nearly being stabbed by the villain made me think about that. Yep. Your life flashes before your eyes. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Yep. Um, and it's it's not only a resistance mechanic to keep you going in the in the in the story, but it also causes plot exposition to happen. Causes yeah. story exposition to happen. Yeah. I, I would love like it, again, back to stealing mechanics. Mm-hmm. If you could do this as a death save in other games, the same way. Yeah. Think of the role play. Yeah. That you're pushing out, right? You know, if you say like, okay, you have to explain a time when you, you know, when you were weak, mm-hmm. or when you lost, or when you lost something, you know, that was a, unbelievably important to you. Not only do you have to describe that moment and how it made you feel. Without explaining, like, how it f- was finished, because it clearly wasn't, you know. But now that is part of plot. Mm-hmm. I, I own that, you know, as the storyteller, and it will come back into play. And until that's resolved, that weight stays with you, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. And it's that those kinds of moments are, are, are just one little thing you can pull from this pluck from this game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's very, very easy to transplant that. Uh, the last thing is called the Crown of the Void. Um, a little different. Crown of the Void, uh, is, like I said, it kind of functions a little bit more like a like a corruption track. Um, there's only th- uh, a handful of things yeah. that directly cause um, the possible to, use of it. Possible use of the Crown of the Void, um, and it, it checks in sequence. You mm-hmm. always start at the top and you check down to the bottom. The bottom thing is you retire your Maven. Yep. 
Um, but it starts very light of just, you always kind of have to mention death whenever you talk about, you know, certain things. Or um, you'll notice, you know, things lurking around staring at you. And, and it gets, it's it's that sort of Lovecraftian eldritch presence that slowly starts creeping in and mm -hmm. making things creepier and more morbid and awful until it starts kind of consuming you yeah towards the very end it's not a very long track either no uh, it's meant to be noticed yeah um one of the primary the primary things that will that will get you to take crowns of the void checks is uh is actually dabble starting to dabble in like dark forces and magic and stuff like that once that like the the dark conspiracy starts going and you decide oh i'm gonna start using their own magic against them okay Okay. Okay. That doesn't work out. Just understand that every time you touch that power, it touches you. Mm-hmm. And there is a way to recover that. Yep. It's it's just not there. Just, yep. So. Uh, so advancement's pretty easy, too. Um, you've got session goals. Yep. Uh, they're, again, check boxes. Mm-hmm. One of them is always permanently checked for you, and that is, did you solve the mystery? Yep. But it'll be other things of, like, did you bond with another character? Did yeah. you, uh, you know... Uh, did you did you get a cozy moment to yourself, et cetera, you know, sort of things like that. And yeah. if you if you, you get at the end of the session, if you answer yes, you get an experience point. Mm -hmm. When you get five experience points, you get an advancement. There are five advancements. You put a check mark check mark next to one of them. When you have checked all five of those advancement boxes, meaning you've gained twenty five experience in total, you're done. You're it's as far as your character will advance. That's it. I like having a cap. It's, it's nice. nice. Yeah. It's very, very nice. simple. Yep. 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 So, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then that's basically where the where the character section ends, and it rolls right into the DM section, which is most of the book. The mo which is, I, I'm gonna say this. Normally, I list out the number of pages that are in a book. I will say this: most of this book is the DM section, and most of this book is not about monsters. It's what like it's 167 or eight pages or so. Yeah, 161 to the appendices that we that that are that that has legit knowledge that you read. And then I want to say about th maybe 30, possibly 40 of the front the front of the book yeah. is. It's about is, that is character, and then the entire rest of it is so yeah. like 120 pages of storyteller section to the to the possible 40. Yeah, 30, now, 40 some of, of that is is adventure explanation. Um, and, and, uh, and good exampling. Sure, sure. But a huge portion of that talks about the most important aspects of this game, which is developing the tone, developing the mystery, explaining how these, these moves are meant to be worked in, how, what your goals and aspirations are as a storyteller. So I'm going to break this down a little bit, but I'm going to tell you right now, there are swaths of information that I am not including in my review. Things that I, I could spend easily an hour going over that section and opining on all of the beauty of the, of what's in there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start this off by saying, if you're a DM and you do narrative stories, spend the $15 and get the damn book. <laughs> it's worth it. Just worth it, worth it, worth it. You're not wrong. Let's talk a little bit about tone and timing because I feel that this kind of sets the pace for this particular game. And that is, is that there are the two moves, the day moves and night moves should feel different. And when we say day and night, we're not necessarily talking about their, them being a, a, a chronological, you know, a time of, of day, 
but more along the lines of daytime moves happen when things are safe and light. Mm -hmm. You know, when the light is shining, you're going to someone's house during the day and having tea with them. You're going to see the sheriff in the middle of town, you know, under the gazebo during the, like, lily festival, you you're know? You're meeting someone for drinks on the boardwalk, you Exactly, know? right. Yeah. You know, you're going to see the fishermen, But you know? likewise, it could take place chronologically at night, but sure. still be a day move if it is a fantastic party at a mansion. Why not? Why because not? Because it's a safe place. There's a lot of people around. Yep. It's well lit there yep. isn't a lot of present danger but for instance you could go in like the middle of the afternoon you know high noon and uh go to a mysterious warehouse on the edge of the docks and that's that might dark be, and musty it yeah. might be a night move because it's always dangerous yeah. there just remember that the day moves should always when you talk about a day move it should be something that is concerning fearful of mm -hmm. the person but doesn't necessarily have a consequence directed right at it, it like wouldn't, a it danger wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be a consequence that is, is that is like lethal that is dangerous you know? in, in dangerous way there might be consequences of like people might you know disfavor you right or you know the the, the police, chief of police might shut you out of a room or something like that right but... right whereas night moves should be this should be fearful but at the same time dangerous mm -hmm. you could get caught by someone and possibly roughed up or worse yet hurt and killed mm -hmm. you know or worse expelled <laughs> exactly um the tone is meant to shift between these where you go from finding cultists down on the shore with a bonfire and possibly like a blood ritual and then the next moment you're literally having tea and crumpets while knitting and having a conversation mm -hmm. that is the swing of this game yeah. It is meant to have that feel of day and night, mm -hmm. and that these people are constantly addressing both aspects of that. Um, I, I akin this a little bit to masks in that sense, that you have this diurnal existence of, of what is happening during the light does affect what happens at the night, but both of them must be there, must be necessary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this kind of brings you to a hole as the storyteller that you are in the masterful seat of timing, meaning that it is easy for players to do the run on of I'm going to look for this and then this and then I'm going to do this and I need to do this. Oh, we found this and we're going to pause. You are. It is 63 years old. Right. And whereas you are not dead. <laughs> yeah. It's it's still OK to say. We're going to pick this up in the morning. Yeah. You're having, you're starting your breakfast routine, right? And she walks in to continue your mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea is, is that this is meant to be, I discovered something, we're excited about it, and it is now a new scene. Just like TV shows do. It is not a running night, moment to moment to moment. It could be. That is very, that if you need to create the tension level, maybe later in your story, that's where it needs to be. But ideally, you want things to go from scene to scene to scene with these light and dark moments wrapping within each other mm -hmm. so that you always have the return to cozy, mm -hmm. which we talk about with a lot of things in the fantasy realm of that return to comfort. Yeah. Yeah. That is a piece of this game. Without a doubt, that comfort is necessary. Of of having that, so your players are not your your characters are not twenty somethings running around, nor are they the players at the table who have all the energy that they want to learn about what's going on in the story. Mm -hmm. 
work with that timing. Understand that that is your hard move that you can make to say, and we're going to wrap up this scene and you pick up here. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of a thing. It breaks down the anatomy of a mystery. And I will say that I love this. I will say a lot of people are going to look at this as I break it down and say, are you joking? And there's all method to this. The title is always disclosed. Oh, yeah. When you sit down and you start the mystery, the title is disclosed to the players. And the titles are brilliant. I yes. laughed so hard at Long Dark Tea Time of the Soulless. It's great. It's beautiful. It's a Douglas Adams reference. Yes. <laughs> um, your complexity, which we discussed earlier, which is the num, which uh, relates to the number of clues you need to be able to even make a uh, a, a mis uh, to, to a, a theorem of the mm -hmm. mystery, um, is also disclosed. Your players know exactly what they need. Yep. They know how complex things are going to be. I would be. write it on an index card and place it in the middle of the table. A lot of these things should be out on the table. Yes. Um. When you're presenting the mystery itself, the opening of the mystery, it is often a series of scenes that sets the stage for that mystery, okay, that establishes the suspects, whether there's any crimes that are directly involved. It creates also the investment for why the mavens are even involved in this, mm -hmm. what engages them, and then it usually, depending on how you do it, includes a question to be answered, to help give them an initial direction point. Right. So right, even right. if they're confused about the title or the complexity level or the suspects or mm -hmm. what's going on, that question is what you hand them. Yes. So that they're like, okay, I know where I need to start with. Right. If I can get close to answering this question, I am much closer to solving this mystery. That classic, what's my motivation? Exactly. Well, that, there it is. That we're going to give it to you. You answer that question. You then take a series of moments, and again, these moments are meant to create flavor scenes that keep the tone of the mystery in place, meaning it is not all about that that mysterious music as they're looking around someone's house that they shouldn't be in during the party, you know, where someone's keeping someone busy while the other person is rifling through their desk drawer, you know, in the next room quietly, you know, only to be slightly discovered. That is a part of the tone. But the other half of the tone is literally sitting on their porch with some mojito, mojitos discussing what happened and how their kids are doing, mm -hmm. right? That is perfectly fine. Like, that is what you need to have. If you want to take that tone all the way to, you know, Golden Girls, where they're kibitzing with each other about other things outside of the story, all the better. Oh, yeah. yeah These yeah. characters should live and breathe within Brindlewood Bay. Mm -hmm. It is not just a den of death. Death is what has happened on but, occasion. But Brindlewood Bay is a lovely little resort town in northern Massachusetts. Yes. Like, yeah. That... Maybe the police kind of try to keep quiet what's yeah. going on, but for the most part, it is still a really nice place to live. There's mm -hmm. a reason why you're retired there and you haven't left immediately. Mm -hmm. um, clues and void clues are the next big chunk, and this is where things get <sighs> different. Yeah. And this is the part that kind of broke my mind a little bit and reminded me what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Clues are written to be diverse and flexible. And to be able to be inserted anywhere. And when I say a clue, I don't mean something specific. I mean there's a list of them. And the list is vague. And that's the thing. It's like a you... bloody carpet. Yeah. Okay. 
What type of carpet? Where is this supposed to be found? Who who whose blood is? It? I don't know. I don't know. It's bloody carpet. It's yep. Glue. Yep. A, a a parchment of paper that has a a signature and the word will on it. Is it a will? Whose will? Is it an updated will? Right. <laughs> What's the signature? It's blurred. You don't know. Yeah. But that's but important. It, but it's a clue. You know. And and these are the types of things. Now, each one of the mysteries has their own listing of clues, mm-hmm. but they're meant to pick, like, whatever scene you're in that they, they're meddling in, when they do a metal action, if they find a clue, you go to the list, you find something that's appropriate, and you insert it in. That's it. You are not directing the mystery. You don't know who did it. Correct. You are... They- don't, don't know, know who did it. That is the hard part. We are uncovering the very key component of yes. this. This and this is the oh, this is the part that like I love, but I also hate. It's it's one of those things that kicks me so far out of my comfort zone. Yeah, that like it's brilliant. It is. But I will be white knuckling this game the entire time because it is such a release of control from what I'm used to. I am exactly yep. the type of storyteller that needs to logic out. Every last little bit of my every idiosyncrasy, I I double check the wiki for Elder Scrolls like mm-hmm. obsessively about like I want to put this element in my story, but is it lore friendly? You know, and usually the answer is yes, and I'm very chuffed about that. But um, but like I will double check. I won't just write stuff if it doesn't make sense. You know, we'll come back to this, but that right there, that uncomfortable feeling that you're feeling, yes, I think is gonna be the key on so much of this yep. for people. Yep. The other is void clues and void clues like it sounds are clues that sit outside of the mysteries resolution but leans into the influence of the midwives of the fl- uh, flagrant void and that dark conspiracy so it adds to the overall conspiracy. Um so within the chain the campaign that is the story. Yeah. So think about you have two layers of clues you have the internal mystery clues mm-hmm. that take care of the complexity within that and then you have the grand clues that are involved in the entire grand story. Then again, they don't make sense either. Yeah, it's they like they just fit within the framework. There is a fish that is leaking purple icor and you're like, "Okay, uh, sorry, there's a fish. They found a fish with a rat stuffed in its mouth that's leaking. Believe it or not, that was a regular clue, not a void oh, clue. Oh, that's right. That was the regular <laughs> clue. That was the regular yeah. clue. But the thing that I want to say is there are three significant differences between this and most games you should be aware of. Mm-hmm. One, clues are not located in specific places and, in fact, can be found wherever the mavens are looking slash meddling. You Quantum don't clues. know. Yeah. You do not know the explanation to any of the murder mysteries until the players do their theorized move and come out with a success. Mm-hmm. That is the solution. Not what you crafted, because you don't craft anything. Lastly, the murders are part of a larger conspiracy involving a death cult determined to summon a monstrosity from the depths of the ocean. That is the three points of this whole thing. And if you can accept those, you can run this game. Immediately upon reading how clues are handled in this, it reminds me of that bit of DMing advice that I got so long ago, which was put puzzles in your dungeons, but don't put answers to those puzzles. Exactly. Just wait for them to try something that makes you go, oh, that's innovative, and let it work. Yep. Yep. That was was the solution. Yes. Yes, I'm, I'm going to come back to that again. Mm-hmm. 
the Alexandrian uh, did a really nice review on this, and I highly recommend you go look at it, but take your time, get the book, it's worth it. Like the rest of the group, the GM doesn't know what the true solution to the mystery is until the theorized move mechanics de mechanically determines it. So the GM has to be careful not to push a specific solution as they present the clues. Mm -hmm. Meaning, the, when the clue goes out, it is the clue. You need to leave that clue as it is. You don't red herring it. You don't flavor text it. You don't do anything. You, you can't just... be like, this was found in the daughter's purse. Nope. Mm, yeah. You let it be. You can flavor everything else. Yep. But not that. The point of this essentially comes down to you want... <sighs> the goal of the game is not to solve a mystery. Okay? Yeah. It's not really solving a mystery in the sense that... You are giving them clues as a brain teaser, and the players have to use their own mental capacity to suss out what actually happened and put it all together at the end. Nope. The mavens are solving the mystery. Mm -hmm. Okay? That's what the theorized role has to do with, and that's why you don't attach any of the clues to anything. Because yep. they're going to come up with a with a clever explanation for how those clues work, how they point to one of the suspects. They're going to make the theorized role, and if they pass it, that's what happened. Now, I'm going to I'm going to flip the script here for just one second. A lot of people are going to say like, "Well, that's the plot. That's how I laid things out. I made this mystery a certain way." Would you do the same thing for combat in D&D? This is the only way they can win the combat. If they don't follow these steps, they die. Mhm. Mm Cuz that's what you're saying. Yeah. Instead of saying, "Here's a tool set. Here's what you're up against." I'm going to sit back and just roll dice, and we're going to see what happens. Yep. Zombies up the hell right here. Their axe is on fire. <laughs> yeah. They kidnapped your daughter. Yep. Do something about it, yeah. you know? And that's just let it happen. Understand that that mechanical release that you do once combat has hit the table is the truth. Mm-hmm. That is how role play should go. It should be directed by the players. What this reminded me actually a lot of is... Um, the same kind of logic that goes into Blades in the Dark, uh, the flashback mechanics. Yes. Okay. It is the idea that the narrative should play out in such a way that the um, the criminals that you're playing in Blades in the Dark would have planned for that thing mm -hmm. because they're professionals. It's what they do. So you can just use a flashback and say, oh, yeah, I planned for this. This is what actually happens. Yeah. And boom, it's now in the fiction. It yep. happens that way. And it's kind of the same way with the Mavens, where it's where with, with Brindlewood Bay. Is you, you, you are a murder mystery solving group. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're like, wait a minute, the will would be, you know, get good motive for this person. And the, you know, the, the thing that we found in here and the fish with the rat stuffed into it, of course, that was a metaphor for this, which is, you know, probably why they were the, they are the murderer. Yeah. Cool. That sounds like a theory. Let's say, let's make a roll. 12. Cool. Sounds like you solved it. Good yeah. job, ladies. So tell me how the scene works out. E exactly. And then they either do the Columbo scene, you know, and you, you narrate in with them on that. But either way, they succeed. The idea. And the fact yeah. is, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. It none does that, not matter. None of that matters. None of that matters. And the, the storytelling of the mystery is done so well within this framework of this book that explains it so simply and so directly. 
as to remove all the veils. Mm-hmm. Like, most game systems, when they go into writing about plot and story and things, focus in a broad sense and accept that the storytellers know certain things. This game removes those doubts and puts it in black and white and effectively slaps you in the face with a fish and says, this is what you need to do to be successful at this. It goes into what your principles should be. Play to find out. Keep it cozy. Keep it dangerous. Uh, you know, keep dangerous characters occluded so that they can't be caught. And then doesn't just say those in a single sentence. Spends a paragraph helping you understand what that means. It talks about like, you as a reaction of what to what your players are doing. You know, a good reaction is one that complicates the Maven's life in an interesting way. Kill a suspect. Have an official show up. Mm-hmm. You know, cut to commercial. You that's a that's a move that you do as a keeper. Like, wouldn't you love to be able to do that in the middle of your fantasy game? Just cut to a commercial. Like, that's what happens, you know? And then we pick up after it, you know? But that's part of that timing. That is understanding that you are setting a flavor. And and not a lot more than that. You're letting things happen. You're letting stuff discover. The day and night moves that are meant to be fear that is understood and respected by the storyteller, the keeper of the characters coming to life, right? So when they're stating their fear within it, you're exposing that fear mm-hmm. at the table. And you are, and I think we'll talk about this a bit later, but these aren't people necessarily playing their character. They are, they are moving that pawn. It's, within it's, the story, yeah, you're not you're not so much telling a, a, a playing a character as much as you're telling the story of that character. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And it's no different than me telling you about a TV show I saw. Mm-hmm. I'm explaining what happened in those scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's in that respect. Um, and then maybe even talking about what I think might be happening next with that character. You know, that kind of level of excitement. Um, the stakes can be very high. But no one dies unless the player wants it to happen. Now there's some tweaks to that, but it's very late. Yeah, for for the for the most part, and in 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 the first half of the game, it's nearly right. impossible to kill a character unless that character says, "This would probably kill me." Yeah, but the <laughs> whole idea of crowning things mm-hmm. gives you that out, if you will. Yeah. Um, to be able to do that, um, using meddling moves and releasing clues through that. Or how things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's not obvious that the players are trying to do a medal. You just ask them. Meta ask them. So so are you meddling at the fair with this person? Yeah, I'm trying to suss out. Oh, so this is a meddling move. Okay, okay. so you're meddling. Cool. So and Let's roll you it. just prepare your clue. Like mm-hmm. you're ready to go with that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, um, re- revealing those clues can come out in many different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, just because, like, there's a taboo love affair going on, but you're at, like, you know, the library talking to a a research librarian, right? How does that come out? The answer is a love letter falls out of one of the books. Mm -hmm. And you just scoop it up and read it off to the side quietly, Mm -hmm. you know? Or you catch someone leaving one of the computers and you glance over and see that their email is still open and see a... See a chat log between two people. Yep. Right? Yep. You know, 
And it's those types of things where you can always bring in the clue in a different way. But the clue is what it is. It's what it's being presented as. Um, the, the thing that sits outside of that are these occult moves, which expose to a different level, but create danger. Those kinds of moves are meant to show uh, that the players are stepping beyond themselves. That they're that they're dabbling into effectively dark things oh, to yeah. try and to try and get a bit more information, and even if they succeed, there is all there is a heavy chance that bad things are going to happen. Yeah, and this is where you really start picking. Like if you start if now if mm-hmm. you start dabbling in in cult stuff, like yep. first off, there's no guarantee that it works. No, uh, you may straight up find out that no, there's no possible way you can utilize this power. Yeah. Um, but second off, this is the quickest and surest way to pick up Crowns of the Void. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And have other bad things happen. But, but, I mean, there's there's Maven moves that uh, can put a damper on that. Yep. Uh, yep. If indeed that is a thing you want your character to do, is be the spoopy one in your group, you can do it. You yep. can absolutely do it. It's, it's a storytelling game. Like, have fun with it, you know? This isn't a huge, long, you know, five-year campaign that you're going to be, you know, uh, g- g- trying to k- keep your character alive. Like, no, just just have some fun with it. Yeah. Tell a story. And and this is where the fictional positioning kind of comes into a little bit, too, in the sense that when a consequence occurs, it creates a weight for something within that character. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a physical thing that's happened to them, whether they've lost something, that is not unlike in Mouse Guard being set with a condition. Yeah. card that gets set to you. Yes. It, it is just an advantage disadvantage point um or a fictional uh a fictional preposition that sits on top of things. Like yep. I'm injured, therefore I can't mm-hmm. x, you know. And it should be played in that narrative sense. Um but all of this builds to a point where the players are prepared to theorize on the mystery. And like we've pointed out and tried to make very obvious here, that is them solving the mystery regardless of what you think. Exactly. It is exceptionally hard as a storyteller to sit down and tell the story and not think you have a solution at all times. First off, stop. You don't. Just don't. You're not supposed to either. There's nothing to say that you also can't have, like, the police have their ideas, you know, and somebody else who's with them, you know, Poindexter making, you know, constantly denying them their ideas, or even a villainous, you know, su- you know, suspect who's just like, yes, that sounds intriguing, but <laughs> you have no proof, you know, and then right, let them right, roll, right. and then suddenly all the proof comes out. Uh-huh. And now that person is surprised, because... It's the truth. Mm-hmm. And you have to accept that, that that's the truth. And that, and, and, and I will say that there is so much more that they go into advancements on um, about handling failures and missteps and danger and other things that I'm just going to straight up say none of it is mechanical. Yeah. It's it is good, good storytelling story. advice. Yes. So if you if you want, like we've gone and talked about other things, like if you want to tell a good mystery, mm-hmm. you know, go look at the, you know, go look at Gumshoe and things like that. I'm not going to say scrap that idea, but I will say this: go pick this book up. It will help you understand and reframe some major points in your head about what you think you know about writing a mystery. Yep. And understanding that. Yep. 
our closing thoughts are going to be a little long. We are we I will say we are done with the uh with the reveals. Mm-hmm. And this will this is purely if you skip to this point and you're at our closing thoughts, congratulations, welcome. Uh we're now going to get into the thick of it without really going into any more uh spoilers. Yep. So All right. Sarah, what does Brindlewood do well for you? Ah, uh, so much stuff. Um, I mean, first off, I am just utterly enchanted with the setting. It is. It's um, kind of wonderful. It's it's so charming and it's so unique. The idea of you're just playing these little old ladies in red hats, you know, yep. that love to solve mysteries. Yep. That get gets just wrapped up into these events, you know. Yeah. Especially when they keep saying like your players should constantly, your your character should constantly reference things from the books mm-hmm. because that's the big part of why you're all together yeah because amanda delacourt just, very prolific writer just make up crap like oh that was from you know the tomes of seven seas yeah exactly yeah, yeah, Where, yeah, yeah. you know just after he ripped open his shirt that scroll fell out of it this was just like that you uh-huh. know <laughs> you know it's but it's doing those types of things adds to the flavor of the story yes. and the setting and everything else within it um, somehow it gives you a framework for mysteries and a vile conspiracy without providing any hard details on what any of those things are, and then effectively guides you to fill in those blanks to make your own story like a giant Mad Lib sheet. I will flat out say that this does a great job at throwing pretty much every major adventure written out in like a, you know, 16 to 18 page booklet mm-hmm. right out the door. <laughs> Oh like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Nice job. Right said, I was reading over. I mean, look, looking at how the scaffolding works, it, like, it, like Mad Libs is what I kept referring yep. it to because it's like you can read, you can read Mad Libs, and it's like I verbed a noun. Yeah. This you know time period. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and like that doesn't mean anything. It's all fill in the blanks, and it, it doesn't mean anything until you fill in the blanks. But it gives you what blanks to fill in. Yep. And then you you have a story. Yep. It may be nonsensical, but you have a story. You know, and it's somebody once put it as, uh, it is a lot of random encounter mechanics hidden behind the covers, uh, to a to to a to a non defined ending where the players know there's an ending. Yeah, like you can see the end. Yeah, and then when the players are like, hey, here's a plausible ending, and you're like, that's exact. That's exactly what it is. Yep. Yep. Congratulations. Exactly. Congratulations. That's the ending. Yep. Um. I think it really effectively captures the feel of, like, those 80s and 90s detective shows, complete with the allusions to, like, commercial breaks and stuff like that in yeah, there as well. Yeah, um, I, I could feel the Jessica Fletcher dripping off of every single mm-hmm, page. Mm-hmm. The artwork really helped a lot with it, it too. It does. In the book. It's, it's very, so soft. It's so soft and charming. Yeah. Um, I think there's excellent ju- juxtaposition um, between cozy murder mystery and Lovecraftian horror. Um. I think it's a ramp, but yes. It's, well, what, I, what I'm saying is it's interesting that you put those two things together because they work remarkable. They're like peanut butter and chocolate to me, you know? They really do. Because they really do. Because it does, it's such a smooth ramp that you start by playing cozy murder mystery and you end with Lovecraftian horror. And if done right, you kind of don't see the gradient between the two. Yeah. Yeah. It just like suddenly you you stop in the middle of your tenth game session and go, why are there witches? You know, <laughs> like what? How did we get here? Why why are there dark robes with like a a red eye painted on the top of them? Right, you know? right, right. 
Uh, and I, I think I think that's that's absolutely great. Um, what more can you can you ask for than you know little old ladies fighting Cthulhu? I love it. Um, and then you've it. got a fantastic section on storytelling it, within the setting. Um, you can use so much of that there for other settings, other mechanics. Like, it, it, there's so much subtext within it that is blatant and mm-hmm. obvious and helpful that I think it is it is a fool's errand not to have this on your shelf. Yeah, if you are if you're one of those people who like having reference materials to help you tell story, do storytelling in RPGs, well, this is something to have on your digital shelf or on your physical shelf. Mm-hmm. Definitely, without a doubt. I know getting the hardcover is exceptionally hard. I've, I've been reading about that, but getting the digital book is as easy as going to drive through RPG, honestly. Mm-hmm. Super, super easy. Um, I felt that that section was incredibly important. It opened a lot in my mind frame of of exploration it it leveled some things um that i didn't expect mm-hmm. um in the way that i was looking at things um but the one thing that i love is that it, the reading the readability of the dm section the way they break things out the way they go into simple paragraphs and make it very clear what you're doing and give pretty clear examples mm-hmm. makes it very comfortable yeah makes yeah. it very comfortable um I will say that despite uh despite my concerns about a, a first time person running one of these mm-hmm. I think it is very possible that this could be an opening RPG for a storyteller um because of the fact that it doesn't rely on the storyteller's weight and creativity nearly as much as the players. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm of two minds. It does put a lot of responsibility on the players. That's the thing. I don't think this game system suffers um, passive players very well. No. And um, let, let's let's break down into the, what it doesn't do well. Okay, I, yeah, I think yeah. it fits yeah, into sure, that. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, I think that it leaves enough of the experience... Um, but still, it is curated. It is framed for what it is. Yes, I yes, would. The, the story will always kind of progress in a certain direction. Yeah, the details, the suspects, the clues, the characters yeah. involved are all going to be different every single time. But kind of the big reveal that we were all spoilery about the Lovecraftian elements is like it's always going to kind of go in that direction. So the first time after you've played Brindlewood Bay, or if you know you've listened to this podcast in its entirety. Yeah, you kind of already know what the big reveal is, and so it's a that little less. That isn't something to say that you that as a storyteller you couldn't make adjustments. Sure, because it isn't. If you know the reveal, there's a lot of other things that will work just as well in a different framing. Oh yeah, and yeah, you yeah. could tell the story differently and have a completely different outcome. Absolutely, I think in that sense it suffers from certain board game frameworks that once you've played it, you're like, do I want to play this again? Mm-hmm. It's different every time I play it, but it is the same board game. It is the same board game, yeah. Um, so I think I I think in that it, it could diminish on it, but I think crafty people could have a lot of fun with it. Oh sure, a I'm lot sure. of fun with it. So, um, I think likewise also because it's a specific setting uh, and mystery, it isn't easily adaptable to like you know open world homebrew style campaigns like where you can just kind of lift the mechanics and drop them into something else. It's kind of dependent upon its mysteries and upon the, like the dark conspiracy and stuff like that. Um, There's a lot of tools for randomizing those things to give them your unique twist, 
but I think without a lot of work writing on your part, like the game is called Brindlewood Bay. Mm -hmm. I think taking it out of Brindlewood Bay would be very difficult. I agree with your statement. Um, I will say this, um, that feeling through that, um, it would take a decent amount of effort to extract the mystery portion of this and to plop it into an existing campaign. Mm -hmm. But if done successfully, you could very easily have the, the subtext plot drop clues to your plot. At the grander scale, have an adventure that is a mystery and use this as a framework to help you design that. Yeah, sure. And, and still have your plot rolling right along next side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that could be kind of neat, but it would feel unbelievably different. The challenges of trying to put this into a combat-heavy game would show drastically. Yeah, yeah, and, and because of that, the mechanics and feel fit tight within this framework. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, now the other thing too, and uh, like as much as we talked about spoilers and stuff like that earlier, um, there's a part of me that wonders even like how much that was necessary because the the next point we've got on here is basically that you ha kind of have to be explicit about the tone and content of this game yeah. with your with your players. Um, if you came to the table looking for old ladies solving mysteries in a quaint seaside resort town. You may not necessarily have signed up for blood curdling Lovecraftian horror elements. Mm -hmm. um, Storytellers should be very careful to convey that uh, that things can get pretty dark and yeah. not and and pretty quick actually. So yeah, um, especially towards the end of the story, things get pretty grim. Yeah, uh, and it's it's I kind of almost liken it to like a, like a Harry Potter style you know arc where you know. The curve is sharp at the end. Well, it, well, at, at the beginning of the story, it's like, you know, oh, can we go into the shut-off wing? And it's a weird chess puzzle, and there's a man with a stone and a Voldemort's on the back of his head. I don't know yeah. what's going on here. Yeah. And then at the end of the story, it's like, war. War yeah. never changes. Yeah. And you're like, okay. We're right to Fallout. How did we, not, how did we right, get to like that the point? School, school, school year's just canceled because we're all killing each other right now. Yeah, the headmaster is dead. Yeah. The best friend is dead, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cedric Diggory is dead. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you have to know that that's coming to show the weight. Yeah. That this quaint, comfortable seaside vacation town where people go to be cozy and relaxed mm -hmm. has this dark subtone that is becoming rampantly harder to ignore. Yeah. To the point where it hard spikes. Mm -hmm. So, and then lastly, the other, the other big reveal you have <laughs> to make to your players. Uh, you quoted this again from the Alexandrian. Uh, you did here. a great job. Uh, the one thing, one key thing here is that players must know what's going on here that the clues have no inherent meaning that they are assigning meaning creatively as players not deductively as detectives and that the truth uh value of their theory is mechanically determined mm -hmm. okay i.e whether that whether the, the person you are stating you believe is the killer or not is determined to be the killer or not based on a die roll. Correct. Not because the clues legitimately pointed to them in a in a direct way. Yeah, and those who hide this structure, their games literally implode. Yeah. 
because it is necessary. Because your characters will be trying to solve it like detectives and not like people just trying to piece together a story in an interesting way. Yeah. And that in itself right there, I, and we, we, we talked about this before the show, we went into some detail and that is, is that this legitimately shows the players how the sausage is being made, mm-hmm. how the story is coming together. This taking part in a game of Brindlewood Bay is probably the biggest look behind a DM screen, behind a good DM screen yeah. that you will ever get. As far as, like, what do you have going on back there that makes your story so masterful? And the answer is, not a whole hell of a lot. I'm actually leaning into and yes-anding a lot of what you guys are doing. Yep. And then it looks deliberate because I go, oh, yeah, I had that planned all along. Right. Of of course that guy was the killer. He wasn't until you said he was the killer, (laughs) but now he's the killer. Yeah. Good job, everybody. But it it only works when everyone knows that this is how the sausage is being made. Yep. That this is how the game is going. And th- the thing is, is that even in the appendix at the end is the designer explaining this in detail. How it was intended to be played. The apprehensions when playing those games. But it removes the GM screen. It invites the players behind it. And really removes the whole adversarial GM relationship. It is at the far end of that scale. Like, this is the end of that scale, without a doubt. Like, there's a mechanic involved, but you are, you are there to facilitate the hidden cards that are hitting the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it was asked very simply, could this game be GMless? And the answer is, technically, yes. It would be more challenging, without a doubt... And take some very creative players to do it. But you could put all the clues in a stack of cards and just flip them when meddling. You're not wrong. And then consequences are a flip. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'm doing this. Flip. And it could just be a a technically like a board game that is all narrative. Yeah. Yeah, actually, would it change things? And the answer is, yeah, of course it would. Sure. Because a storyteller is adding elements and flavor of the town. They're making it live and breathe. Yeah. You, yeah. Are, you are doing what a storyteller should do. Well, someone needs to voice the NPCs and things mm-hmm. like that, you know. Not only that, everyone else at the table, all of the players, are focused on moving their avatar and interacting with their other avatars on the table. You're watching all of it. And making notes. You're not mm-hmm. playing. That's yeah. the key. Yeah. You are not playing. You are there to foil and to question. Mm-hmm. To help them through it. And you make notes of like little attachments like, oh, they've grown to trust this character. And then you put that down like, you know, like, okay, cool. Uh, someone needs to betray them, you know, in the, the third act of this game or something like sure. that. Like, cool, they, they've come to trust this character. I guess that's them, you know? Yeah. And it's, again, it's going to be different every single time. Who they like, who they don't like, who they interact with, who they don't interact with. Exactly. And all of that is done such a, in such a nice way. That even at the very end of all of this, that the, the 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 writer goes into saying that there are concerns about playing old people, mm-hmm. and I was taken right back to Shang Chi mm-hmm. and, and yeah. jumping vampires and playing Asian characters. Yeah, and like, am I allowed to play an old lady? Mm-hmm. You know, and it states like you're not, you're not playing an old lady. 
you're telling the story about an old lady. Right. And the tools are just there to give you, to make her a well-rounded character that lives and breathes in this, in, in the town of Brindlewood Bay. And that is fine. Mm-hmm. And I think understanding that key right there, that the developer is basically saying you as a player are telling the story of. Yes. Should remind you as the storyteller that you are not the only storyteller at the table. Number one. And number two, within that framework, you are exposing the entire story component set to the other players. You're gifting them behind the screen and allowing them to understand it. Mm-hmm. In, a, in essence, I love this. I love all of it. I think it's beautiful. Like I said, I'm, I, I, I'm 90% sure this is what I'm going to run for my next game. I'd love to be in it. Either way, I'm going to peanut gallery the hell out of oh, it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, uh, we got a couple questions. Yeah, they're they're a couple weeks old, but they're worth it. They're still they still check out. <laughs> we, we were like, hey guys, Brindlewood Bay is coming up next. Whoops. Nope. Okay, I'll now that we got that a up. bunch of good questions, let's just take these. Not Brindlewood Bay. Yeah. So uh, Tim Saucer asks, are there other games you would see using the mystery resolution system from Brindlewood Bay? Yes. I'm just leave it as yes, because the answer is that it is not a mechanically heavy system. It is a narratively heavy system. Yeah. If you've got a mystery, if you've got a puzzle, if you have anything where the players do not need to have a set destination for solution, use it. Yeah. If the if the act of we we solved the mystery is the is the thing and not who we solved them, you know, like who who was the culprit in the mystery, correct, is important. Then then yeah, absolutely. You know, and especially uh, in the one thing I do like is 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 having those uh, the other clues come into play mm-hmm. and letting that be the extra successes. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, they're solving this adventure in this town. Right, but now they've learned something that is a clue beyond this all. Mm-hmm. Ooh, fancy! Yeah, you know, now they're they're the adventure is one thing, but learning more about the greater plot is another. Sure, that is literally every adventure. Mm-hmm. Your adventure, I'm not gonna say is pointless, mm-hmm. but I will say it is a place. Some things are happening, and it is up to players to get through it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Don't don't set more rules than that. Uh, let's see here. Many systems uh, attempt to perform genre emulation of some kind. Brindlewood Bay is one where they are very explicitly do this with things like cut to commercial mechanic. <laughs> yes. Do you think this kind of overt callback to the episodic shows is designed after uh, that is designed after breaks verisimilitude, or does it lean into it? Absolutely leans into it. Um. I, I think again because the, the like they said in the appendix uh, that you just quoted, you're not you're not intended to live through your character. Yes, um, you are designed to essentially tell the story of a character that exists in this story. Yeah, you're not telegraphing moment to moment. Yeah, you're not driving them from one scene to the next scene and walking them through the door and up the staircase into the sheriff's office. It goes from we're gonna have you know it's like having a conversation with T with one of the people and then cut. You find yourself walking into the sheriff's office to ask him a few good questions. I think it might actually be helpful to think like this is one of those rare instances where like you're it's not your character. You're Mm-mm. just controlling what that character that exists in the story does, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I think that's yeah. the best way of doing it. It's, it is a break of of Co- um collaboratively describing what happens in this cool television show you're all taking part in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a great way of putting it. Um wow. It's fanfic. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Because there's already an established character yeah. and movement and motivational set. You're just saying, here's the situation and how they're going to move through it. Yeah, Knox in the Box as a scriptwriter on this program. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly what it is. It is, And at the beginning of the book, they say that straight out. They're just like, you're just in a writer's room. You're just in a writer's room, exactly. Yep. So, uh, Nevum's got some questions. Uh, in Brindlewood, uh, the Game Master doesn't know who did it. That is correct. How to uh, how to assure consistency when running campaigns? Okay, so let go. You, you that's the key. That's the key. Let go. Tr- stop trying to control the output. Try trying to um, create consistency. Create consistency at all. Like your players are going to tell the story, and all you're there to do is essentially make sure that when they make a move the correct role is made mm-hmm. to insert whatever is an appropriate consequence to that role, be it good, bad, or a mix of both. Um, and to help guide them through the story in a meaningful way so that at some point they can do their theorize and throw out a solution. I would change the word guide to encourage. Yeah. 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 That's because we, we guide people. Okay, in, sure. In it, this guide is... implies hands-on. Right. Encourage is more like sitting in the sidelines saying you can do it. Right. Sitting in the sidelines asking a question. Well, the reason I say guide is because um, there is a component to being like, okay, okay, okay. I, I understand you're trying to do everything, but we're going to move on to the evening right. at this point. You know, And those, I think, are guiding I, moves. I would where, agree. Those are very guiding moves. You, need to, you do need to put some constraints on your players to keep them moving in a direction. And to keep the feel of the story versus turning it into a move-by-move move motion. Exactly. Um, and so th- that's where I would say you need a guide, but other than that, let go. Yeah. Forgive yourself of any and all direct involvement in the outcome of that story. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, next one. Do you have to play old ladies like Murder Curate, or can you play other types of character? So the the short answer is it's not Brindlewood Bay. Yeah, and it's not the Mavens. Yeah. You're not a Maven if you're not playing an old lady. Um yeah. now there is some wiggle room. For instance, like I said, um there is a selected list of uh comfort activities. Yeah. But like you don't have to pick one off that list. Like I I, I thought of a character earlier who's like a big fitness buff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um she's she's sixty eight, she's not dead, you know. Yeah. Um, who's like big into like health drinks and she wants to go out dancing and drinking and she still tries to capture that youth like she's twenty. And she and so her comfort uh thing is actually riding her exercise bike. Yep. To to stay in shape, you know? Yep. Um I mean, she still does it slowly because she's still 68 or whatever, you know, age mm-hmm. I put her at. But um, it, that could be it. But the fact is, though, is that she still is a an old lady, mm-hmm. you know, at the at the after life has happened. Yes. So so could you do it with old men? I would say in theory, you could. In theory, you could probably. I think. I think it would feel a little different. Yeah, there's definitely it would definitely feel different as old men simply because I think old men have a different like there, there's definitely a different power dynamic 
with old men than there is old ladies. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, the the little old lady, the grandma, that, like, has her sewing in her oversized purse with her at all times, like, that's... There's a, there's a certain sort of innocence to that that yeah. people regard, whereas, like, an old man might be an old veteran soldier, you know? So... Um, he might be an old business tycoon, you know? And, and, and I think that's what it's trying to elicit here is that yeah. you aren't powerful still. Mm-hmm. You aren't, you know, you, maybe even this one was a debutante mm-hmm. and an actress or whatever of some, some note at some point, but they are not that anymore. They are past their prime. They, they have, have retired. They have pacified themselves to the point where what they do for the best fun that they have is go to a book club and talk about a writer and those yeah. books that they have. Yeah. And occasionally get excited about a murder mystery that happened in town. Yeah, they they and they and that's the reason they, it's called a metal move. Right. Not an investigate move because right. you are sticking your nose where it clearly does not belong. Right. You are doing this as a hobby, not as a professional pursuit. Correct. And so I will say this, um that uh, the uh, there's a recent TV sh- uh, TV show that was Steve Martin and Martin Short, and I can't remember who the, the girl is in his lead. Um, it was Murders Only Happen in the Building. Okay. Um, and it's a it's a podcast show. Sure. Like they're doing a podcast on the show about things that are happening within the. It's really kind of leveled, but the point is is that both of them are basically just aren't professional investigators. Mm-hmm. They're bumbling through it just as much in life. And it shows that passiveness, that that pacifist, oh God, what have I gotten myself into? Right, right, right. There's nothing, I will say this, if your players can remember that, can remember that that's what they are, mm-hmm. that they are old, that they are frail, that they are fragile, and that they don't have gumption beyond their move. Mm-hmm. Then I, I think you could, I think you could. Okay. okay. But I think you have to understand what you are within the framework. What your what what the pe- the players are meant to be. Just like kids on bikes could never have one of the kids be a robotic soldier. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to work mm-hmm. for kids on bikes. Likewise, none of them are going to be BMX champions. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't work either. One of them might be the school bully, but that's about as, you know, yeah. rough and tough but as you're going to get. even he doesn't punch out a cop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly, yeah. So so you have to know the weight, and I think the the, the exposure of that kind of puts that. So I, I will mm-hmm. say for the most part, no. For a clever group, sure. I, I don't see. <laughs> not <laughs> Well, not with that attitude. That's He's fair. not. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um how to create a mystery in Brindlewood. Read the book. It does a great job explaining it. I 100% say it's worth the $15. Yep. And then finally, what is missing? What can be improved? Uh, I mean, the only thing I can think of, and, and that is kind of kind of leaning back to that, how do you, how do you create a mystery? Um, I mean, there, there are a bunch of mysteries that are provided for you. Yes. Okay. And those are frameworks of mysteries. Like I said, they give you kind of a inciting incident. They give you a list of suspects and their all attitudes and possible involvements. They give you a list of clues, which are vague and only semi-related to what, what went on. Um, and it's entirely up to the mavens to piece it all together. Um, 
But what I might like to see is, like, a framework for creating your own mysteries. Yeah. You know? And I think, so I think that that kind of answers both of my, both of those questions at the same time, is that there isn't really a framework provided for saying, like, okay, of, of the, what is it, six mysteries that are provided in the book, yeah. um, here's how you would go about creating your own. I would like to, under that same line, I would like to see, like, a forged in the dark of this. Brindled in the bay? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, however, you know, uh, um, you know, brindled by the sea or something like that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but uh, that way it, it exposes the framework, what the point of this is, and being able to take each of the components, what the characters mean, how the mysteries can be plotted together, and what the final threat is. And lets you kind of pick and choose and be like, okay, so my final threat is an alien invasion. Sure. You know, or... Or Chinese jumping vampires. Sure, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the framework in the middle is, you know, is, is your clues and everything that go along with each of the individual mysteries. And your 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 front end framework is a group of students at a college, or you know, whatever. But the the key behind it is is that the 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 passiveness of it, like they do, like kids on bikes, uh, uh kids on brooms. Oh, you said kids at college, and I immediately thought of uh, East Texas University. It's one of the settings for Savage Worlds. But it works. Mm -hmm. But again, the framework of who those characters are and their level of of control of what's going on is the key. Yeah. Is the key. So... Um, but I think that I think that's really the only thing that I would agree is is kind of missing. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, excellent. Everything is it is targeted well, it is framed well, and there's so much joy that you can pull out of this. Yeah, it clearly understands its own scope. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. Uh, all right. So next week's topic, we're going to be talking a bit about boss battles. Like, where did this concept of going of reaching you know fighting through a bunch of things and then getting to a climactic boss like why is this retold again and again and again in storytelling and like why is D D made this the default trope right you right. know <laughs> of everything uh and you know how necessary is it to gaming that sort of thing so uh we're gonna be kind of dissecting that whole trope uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave. Listen to us uh, on, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And join us up on our Discord. We'd love to uh, hear from you. Throw us some questions. We'll answer them here on the air. And you can uh, talk to the other great storytellers that are up there and bounce some campaign ideas off of them. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who support us every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on Instagram at arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Keyfrog. You can find that at keyfrog.bandcamp.com on Google Music or on YouTube now. So I highly recommend you go check them out. Uh, our outro music uh, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank you. All of our friends who have sat with us at our tables over the years to give these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. We love you. Good, Good night. night.